Last week was the beginning of May, and of course that means that's a new feature in our Woman in Supply Chain series. I spoke to Anju Gupta, Senior Director, Product Manager over at Coupa, and it was a great conversation full of inspiration, thought leadership, and perspective, not only in supply chain, but also in supply chain tech as well. You are not going to want to miss her journey to success and um, what her story really looked like from the beginning of her career up until now with Coupa. Thanks to GWPP and Coupa for sponsoring last week's episode as well. You can hear that episode, which is episode 114, wherever you subscribe to podcasts or under podcasts at Let's Talk Supply Chain.com. Let's Talk Supply Chain is not your average supply chain podcast. We feature not just the top of the industry, but also diverse voices from within the community new innovations, and the disruptors making waves in the industry. Don't listen to the same old, same old. Be sparked by new ideas and fresh perspectives only on Let's Talk Supply Chain. I grew up with supply chain in my blood. I spent eight years in logistics operations and another eight in sales talking to shippers and BCOs learning all about their pain points. Visibility is one of the biggest blockers to supply chain performance and knowing where your cargo is, well, that's just the beginning. What you really want to do is avoid surprises. Terminal 49 is an ocean freight visibility platform that's out to change the game for importers and brokers. They provide an easy to use unified dashboard with track and trace functionality to replace querying hundreds of separate steamship line and terminal websites. Just by entering the bill of lading number, you will receive proactive alerts when there's an ETA change, container holds, or anything that requires action. Best of all, they can automatically update all the data you need for forecasting directly in the systems you use today, even spreadsheets. Check out Terminal49.com forward slash LTSC to learn more about Terminal 49 and they've agreed to give Let's Talk Supply Chain listeners 20% off their first year. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. There has been so much going on. I have been on the Procure Tech podcast with James Mead. I've also been on the Alcott Global podcast. I hope that you were able to check out those episodes. Coming up June 25th, we also have a one-day virtual supply chain conference that you're not going to want to miss. We've got an economist coming in, talking to us about what the economy looks like, not only now, but in the latter half of this year, plus going into 2021, we have a startup showcase where we're going to be able to feature some of the rising stars of this industry. Plus, we've got some powerhouse names. Greg White is going to be joining us, as well as Eric Johnson to moderate some jam-packed panels with names that you definitely will recognize. So we hope that you're going to join us for that one-day special event. And, um, you know, there's so much more happening. If you'd like to know more about some of the events that we have coming up, the live streams, etc., go to the events page on our homepage to check out what we've got coming up. So today is an episode of both paying it forward and about a topic we don't hear enough about when it comes to supply chain. That's industrial manufacturing. But first, let's get to the question of the week. So the question we asked you was, how is Last Mile evolving during COVID-19? 
We had a lot of really, really great responses. John Bugliano said, a number of retailers have adapted to home delivery or contactless pickup drive-up options for their customer. This has created jobs for those out of work or looking to help out during these times. Andrew Johnson, I'm seeing two things. People buying booze online for home delivery and two, COVID-19 signing for my bottle of booze. So my... Yes, we won't go any more on that one. If you'd like to see the rest of that answer, go to the Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn page and find this post. Jamie Vogel, interestingly, our small parcel data is showing an increase in postal deliveries, likely to save costs and in light of the major carriers suspending service guarantees on premium services. Gary Garner, get on the supply chain train with Shelf Aware. Well, I don't know about you, but I've also seen, you know, if I'm going to buy something online, it's taking a lot longer for them to pick it and deliver it. I just had a delivery yesterday and I waited over, I think, three weeks for that when generally it only takes about 10 days. So, you know, lots going on in the last mile space. Thank you to everybody who weighed in. Check out the conversations on my LinkedIn page on Let's Talk Supply Chain, either on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram every single Wednesday morning. You can also comment there, add to your network and your knowledge base. So today, Christopher Nesbitt has been paying it forward on LinkedIn for the last few months. Plus, he is a thought leader in industrial manufacturing, and that is a topic I have wanted to tackle on the show for a while. So let's get to know a bit about his journey, then we'll dive into the world of industrial manufacturing. Christopher Nesbitt is the president as Net at Nesbitt Marketing, an industrial marketing firm. Industrial marketing has seen a dramatic shift over the last decade, resulting in manufacturing companies being forced to address a newfound connection to technology. Due to the increasingly interconnected nature of the world today, industrial companies need to reconsider their tested traditional tragedy strategies as it becomes increasingly complicated to reach and engage customers in a natural way. And Chris and his team at Nesbit Marketing definitely helps you to do that. So welcome to the show, Christopher. Thank you for having me. Yeah, if anyone has seen those fabulous rings around people's LinkedIn profiles, Christopher is the brains behind the ring project. He worked his magic on mine, and it turns out Christopher is also into manufacturing. So I thought I would pay it forward and have you on the show, which I am super excited about because I think we're going to talk about some amazing supply chain topics today that I don't get to talk about all the time. So before we get to know your company a little bit more, what exactly is industrial? manufacturing? Well, industrial marketing is um, basically a specialized form of marketing that's designed and focuses on the pain points that manufacturers or industrial companies feel specifically to their type of company. And so we know that there's certain things like uh, sales cycle that are very different in the manufacturing world than they are in, say, the consumer world or the medical world or the technology world. So these are all specialized sections of marketing. And so what we do is we we know how to keep the customer on the hook for longer. And uh, that really helps when you have those long, complex, drawn out sales cycles that typically involve a lot of contract negotiation and technical negotiation and manipulating the project to fit the customer. And so uh, we understand that. We understand it both from a technical side that uh, there's terminology involved and we have experience in that realm. And then also uh, there's there's more 
that goes into reaching the customer and staying in front of them to maintain mind share, essentially. Yeah, and your customers are in industrial manufacturing, right? So what Correct. what exactly is industrial manufacturing, just for our listeners? Well, uh, I come from the world where we were building machine tools or CNCs, um, and so CNCs being the machines that cut metal or plastic or whatever into their net shape. Um, so that's really the, where I come from into it. And so, uh, but I, even before that, I owned a, a prototyping and product development company where I would work with uh, people who had ideas on a napkin and wanted to take it all the way up to injection molding tooling. Um, and so we helped them all the way through that process. So I've got a pretty firm understanding on how to navigate the, the manufacturing space. Awesome. Awesome. So between this administration and all their tariffs and everything that was happening in 2019, this kind of bled into 2020, and now the coronavirus, mm. manufacturing close to home and abroad has been a little bit of a hot topic. So what are the conversations that are running through the industry right now? Well, uh, I mean, you touched on a few of them. Uh, what has been interesting from my perspective is how much focus there has been on reshoring, bringing manufacturing back home. And that was happening even before the current administration. That was starting to be a pretty hot topic because, you know, the cost of doing it over there is still going up. The competitiveness is changing. And, you know, if we don't start bringing it home, we lose the advantage of the technological advances that take place by participating too. So right. you know, China was getting is getting very good at manufacturing. Um, and so we need to continue to gain the benefits of that as well. Plus self-reliance is another factor as we're starting to see uh, exactly like you mentioned with the coronavirus right now, uh, as supply chains start to be affected by quarantine. And so without duplication um, at the very least, you know, in the home state, if you will, or the home country, then uh, yeah, you're definitely going to start to see impacts there. Yeah. And I guess are the conversations sort of coming around to that? Because I know I've been asked a couple of times through this coronavirus, whether it makes sense to have backup suppliers, backup manufacturing, move the manufacturing. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, strategy and planning around the supply chain side that is really, I think, going to bring all departments together. Um, in collaboration, because I think that obviously to get through this, we're going to need to, and also to make sure that we're proactive for the next time, because this this is this is going to happen again. I mean, it's not Absolutely. like it's not going to happen again. So, what do you think about that? Um, I'm not a big fan of backup suppliers because I think that it's very relationship based, and mm -hmm. I don't know how you keep those relationships if you're not buying from them. Right. So I think that there's, you know, some fine lines there. What do you, what do you think about that or what are your customers saying? Well, I think the conversation over the last 10 years is really kind of different than what it is right now. Um, over the last 10 years or so, it's always been about pushing leaner and getting, you know, more focused and more uh, dedicated to the supply lines and supply chains. But now, uh, as the supply chains are experiencing stress, if we can call it that, um, mm -hmm. I think that there's definitely some some questions being asked is, do we need to duplicate or do we need to find some of form of alternative at least yeah. um, so that things don't just collapse when when things get tough? And so I don't know that things are collapsing per se, but I would say that definitely there's there's some questions being asked. That's a good way to put that. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So other than that, um, what are some of the top challenges happening in manufacturing? I mean, you've obviously found one because you've been able to create a company around it. So what are some of those challenges that they're facing right now? I think it's it's a shift that's taking place. Um, one, on my side of things, I think that manufacturing companies are starting to realize that they need to invest in marketing. Right. Um, many of them kind of took a big break during the recession as a way to cut costs and save money. Yeah. Um, and then as the economy fired back up, um, they really ex- realized how little they had been doing. And if they hadn't been doing it through the recession, then they definitely felt it there. Um, other areas that I'm seeing a shift in is, you know, for instance, the, the ability to continue to get skilled workforce is definitely a challenge. Um, and so the I used to work with a, a group that supported the manufacturing industry, trying to get skilled, uh, you know, workers, built up uh, in in the pipeline, essentially. So it was a talent pipeline that we were building. And it was, we started honestly down at the elementary school level. And we started to build up some pressure, elementary, high school, colleges, trying to get younger people interested and trained and in the right mindset to be in these technical roles. Because let's be honest, I mean, a machine operator, what is a fairly technical position. And so if, uh, if we don't have people to fill those roles, it's a big problem. Plus we also have the additional side of the mechatronics that are coming into it with the robotics and the automation. And so we need people to be able to design those and run those. And that's a whole nother level of technical knowledge that needs to be, uh, at least understood and, and have some talent pipeline built in to be able to support those. So I think that's a big challenge right now is making sure that they find the right people and have that pipeline built out in order to guarantee the talents flowing into the companies. Yeah, well, you bring up a good point because marketing is not only the brand itself, right? We think of when we when we traditionally talk about marketing, we think about the brand itself and the warehouse, uh, not the warehouse, the website and the way the brand is positioned, the brand story, but it bleeds into company culture and now it's bleeding more into attracting that talent and how do we do that? And it's about marketing ourselves, our, not only as the employee, but as the employer, marketing ourselves, talking about the culture, what it's going to be like to work there, why you should want to work there. And, um, you know, company, some companies and some industries are really only just realizing that. And I was kind of in the same position with that a few, few years ago with freight forwarding. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them are still in that position. Um, not really understanding that marketing really is key to their future success. So, you know, I'm glad that it's something that we are talking about today. So can you tell us the story of the point of your journey when you saw manufacturing as an issue and decided to go out on your own to solve it? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of a story. but uh, So I have always worked in either marketing or manufacturing on one level or another. So it's kind of, I've hopped back and forth a few times and I got some really deep uh, knowledge on both sides of the fence. And then uh, most recently I worked for, and I can go back in and fill that story in a little bit, but most recently I worked for a CNC company and they were struggling with their marketing and I took it over for them. And uh, 
we made some big changes and those big changes paid off. Um, they ended up increasing their, their revenue pretty significantly. And a lot of that had to do with the marketing that we were doing. And so I realized that I wanted to help more companies do that, that the system worked and that it was positive for this company. And I, I knew that I could help more companies with the system that I had developed for them. Right. And, um, you know, and a lot of that was building out, large complex uh, momentum campaigns which you know was something that i'm very good at building up that pressure building up the volume building up the frequency and the tempo in order to get people's attention and because if you turn things i actually just did an article on linkedin about it um, if you turn on your marketing and advertising full blast right out of the gate and you never build up that momentum then mm -hmm. people just they tune it out it's gone. It, you've lost your opportunity at that point. So what you have to do is you have to start out small and build it up, build it up over a course of several months. Yeah. And then people are engaged with it. They're involved with it. They've got an investment in it and they feel like they found something special that's growing quickly when that's all being engineered. Well, and building that community, I was just talking to Adam Robinson on the Freight Project podcast about that specific thing, <laughs> you know, um, starting slow, creating that momentum, um, creating that community, creating value mm -hmm. before you do the ask. Um, and it, you know, it takes time, but for companies that traditionally have not invested in marketing and see marketing as a cost center, mm -hmm. how do you get over that objection? Um, that's a good question. Uh, typically, you know, in the case of my customers, um, they're in contraction. They're either plateaued or in their contraction and they are banging their head against the wall to try and figure out how to get past that. And almost all companies go through those stages of plateau or contraction at some level. You know, it could be 10 million, it could be 25 million, it could be 50 million. It just depends on where they, which one they're at as to what you need to do to get past it. And a lot of the time it's marketing because, you know, I mean, it's either marketing or operational. Those are kind of your two big choices there. So yeah, I um you, you have to need, you have to have the pain in order to to get past the objection. But do you I think you know in some ways I think we should just be a little bit more proactive in that area instead of reactive because Absolutely. I don't know. Is it possible to be proactive? I think it is. I think that it's possible if you have the right team in place, but most most companies have older teams in place that that needs some convincing and usually that convincing takes place during pain. And it's not yeah. that I want it. I know I don't want them to go through that. You know, of right. course I'd love to sit down and say, you know, this is what we can offer, but there's certainly cost involved with that. And a lot of companies, especially manufacturing and industrial companies are very sensitive to cost. Yeah. I remember having a conversation with one of the ladies on the board of directors um, that I'm, I'm on for fit the forum for international trade training and she owns her own business. And she was saying, you know, in times of recession or hardship, she doubles down on marketing. She actually removes co removes costs from other areas and doubles down on marketing because that's the only thing that's going to get them through. Um, and they're the only ones doing it. Yeah, and that's actually one of the smartest things that you can do during a recession. And she's very um, and successful. It, and part of that is is that it sounds like it. Yeah, I yeah. that's my I'm a firm believer in that philosophy as well. Um, what what happens is that you know the companies that are not doing it they'll probably survive, but when when the shift takes place, 
right? You're starting from ground zero. If you haven't been doing any marketing, you're starting from ground zero. Yeah. You have to rebuild your brand. You have to rebuild your momentum. You have to rebuild your exposure and your consistency, all of that, and your community. Like you mentioned before, you don't have a community because you haven't been marketing. So yeah. if you don't have any of those things when the marketing, when the, the market fires back up, those companies are going to be 10 years ahead of you because they've already been making the investment. And you're going to have to spend as much as they've spent over those 10 years to, or more to catch up. And so a lot of the time, you know, these companies lose years when they turn off their marketing. And, and so money. your friend is very smart and money. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's going to cost you a lot more to rebrand and start from ground zero than it is to continue with some momentum that you've already gained, whether it's not, you know, whether it's not moving as fast as you would like it to. Right. Because sometimes you get kind of stalled in that way. But I think the key is just being consistent and staying with it. Um, you and do. you're going to see the results from it. Um, so, you know, we talk about supply chain as a strategic marketing message. So, mm -hmm. are your customers using supply chain as a strategic marketing message? I was given after I saw your questions, I gave this some thought. I, I don't think anybody currently is doing it. However, there's a caveat to that. I do think it's going to be more important going forward because mm -hmm. as we start to see these supply chains being stressed and the ones, you know, if somebody does have a strong supply chain, it becomes a unique selling proposition. It absolutely does. I'm seeing it a lot with tech companies um, as they're coming into the space or even, you know, larger ones that have been in the space for for a while, you know, using supply chain as a competitive market market advantage um, in their brand messaging, their marketing messaging. And, you know, I think that more and more companies are realizing that it encompasses pretty much and touches every single business unit of the company. So even if you are in manufacturing, like you're the top end of supply chain. And mm -hmm. so if you're able to make it easier for them down the line, any of your you know, customers down that supply chain line, you're going to beat that competition because that's exactly what they're looking for. And you can use that as part of that messaging. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. I was, well, I did a You're lot of research, you know, before this conversation. And, you know, I think that it's crucial that we all, you know, talk about the different parts of supply chain, talk about the different companies that are in supply chain and how we can help them. We all kind of need each other. You know, it's Absolutely. not like we want one to, you know, go down because if you do, that affects a lot of people down the chain. So how do we, um, I use the word collaborate all the time and people are going to start, I know there's, it's going to start being cringeworthy soon, I'm sure, but it's about that, right? How do we help the top end? How do we help the, the, uh, downline as well so that it works out for everybody? So you recently posted some staggering numbers about the use of social media and how different industries should use it differently. Tell us more about that and how industrial manufacturing should use social media. And can you give us some examples? Um, industrial manufacturing, you know, if social and industrial manufacturing actually could have a very beautiful relationship because a lot of people don't really know how it's done. And so, you know, you think about some of the shows that are out there, like how it's made or whatever yes. it has to be. They're fascinating, right? And that's always been one of my favorite things about working in the industrial space is how it's done, how it works, 
showing illustrations of the machines working or, you know, the assembly lines or whatever the, the automation that takes place. People love that. And so social media is a great platform to be able to display that. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, educate people about it. It doesn't just have to be videos or photos of what's going on in the factory or whatever happens to be. It could be the people that are involved in the process. I mean, because there is, there's a lot of people that are involved. There's a lot of positions that support getting a product out to market. And uh, it's not just um, you know, machines pumping out parts all day long. There's certainly a lot of engineering that goes into it. There's a lot that takes place from an administrative standpoint. So social media really gives us an opportunity to be able to see all of that. And that's really what these companies should be showing on their social media, not pictures of their products or what they make, because frankly, nobody cares. But it's how it's made and the people that help make it happen. That is the, that is the message that we should be putting out there. Yeah, and I think that, and I've I've spoken about this with Daniel Stanton when we did the LinkedIn Live uh, about a month or so ago. But you know, we talk about the different platforms for the different businesses, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Instagram is more visual, Twitter is more conversational, and that's the other thing too is that you you can start a conversation about these things on Twitter, yeah, right? And we say, do. you know, did you did you know that this was how it was made or what did how did you think that this was made and you know see the responses that come out of that and then really showcase what that means and and how it was made and things like that which I'm sure I'm sure that you do and I'm sure LinkedIn is probably a huge platform for you as well right because yeah. it kind of seems to be the epicenter of B2B it's the epicenter of a lot of things right now. I would say it's probably the best platform out there for just about anybody. Um, it's changed a lot in the last year or two. It's not been very long. Um, it's become a lot more personable. It's The reach is phenomenal. I've never seen anything quite like it for social media. I mean, maybe the early days of Instagram, but again, that was a very targeted audience in some ways. Yeah. It was a young crowd, whereas LinkedIn started old and went young. Yeah. So, um, you know, it did. It was it was a, a more mature crowd early on, and now we're starting to get some younger people in there, and they've brought a lot of energy with it. And there's some changes that have taken place due to that, but um, I think overall, it's a great opportunity for a lot of people, and the communication structure that's built into the platform is incredible. Um, yeah. I think that it really changes the way that people communicate on the platform, and that really gives an opportunity for anybody who's involved, specifically companies, especially when they're utilizing a personal, you know, like you and I are, are pretty good examples of that. Um, you know, we, we do a lot of the, the work that we would do for our company through our personal profiles rather than pushing it through the page. It exists as an outpost, but it's not where majority of the work takes place. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a really valuable thing because people trust people. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's a great platform for that. Yeah, no, they absolutely do. And I, I agree with that. I, I do, I do want to say that I get a lot there. I mean, I have a lot more followers on my company page. Mm -hmm. And so I try not to overlap the content because I think that, you know, the content on the company page and the content on my personal page, although it seems to reach different people, um, I don't want to be overlapping on that. And that's also a bit of a challenge too, right? Mm -hmm. When you've got a company page as well as a personal page. So just having a strategy around that and uh, just being consistent 
um, in that, but I'm learning, I'm learning that too. I mean, at the end of the day, things are changing so quickly, right? All the algorithms are changing. You know, do we do three hashtags? Do we do five hashtags? Do we do eight hashtags? No, don't do eight because they'll think that you're spam. So you can only keep three. I, I like, I, what are your, what are your thoughts on hashtags? Cause I, it makes I do three. I do three. Um, Three. Okay. I've had good luck with three. It's like you said, I think that I don't, I, maybe there isn't even a rule on it. Um, but I advise people to do three because only three of them show up in the, uh, the URL. So really it, it comes down to an SEO question more than it is an algorithm question. You know, does it worth you sitting there coming up with a bunch more hashtags <laughs> if it doesn't have longevity to it really? Cause Remember, yeah. we're trying to build up, you know, long-term exposure, not just the short term. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, from an SEO standpoint, that makes sense to focus really intelligently on those three. Um, but it hasn't hurt me to have less than, you know, five. I've done four. I've done five. You know, it, if you have a, a relevant tag, use it. I mean, it's worst that's going to happen is you might get a little bit less reach, but you might get more engagement. So, you know, I, I encourage people to play with it, yeah. but as a general rule of thumb, I use three. Yeah. Well, and they do take a lot of thought. I don't know about you, but sometimes I sit there staring at the screen and I'm like, what do I write for a hashtag? <laughs> well, anybody who's on Instagram knows, you know, to sit there and come up with 20 hashtags is that's where a majority of the work takes place. So, yeah. you know, to actually be limited on our hashtag shouldn't be a, shouldn't be a curse. It should be a blessing in disguise. Yes, it absolutely is. I would agree with you on that. So according to some research by HP, manufacturing is the biggest contributor to carbon footprint in supply chain. I'm sorry, but I couldn't get through this conversation without mentioning this. That's so right. considering this, you know, are manufacturers opening their eyes to this issue? And where do you see manufacturing in the next five years? So I was giving this a lot of thought after you posed that question because I do think that um, that's a little bit of an unfair comparison because um, manufacturing produces the products for thousands of people. And so once you split that across those thousands of people, then it's not nearly as large as what we might expect. Um, Of course, carbon footprint in general as a big picture is a problem. So um, I do think with the conversations that I've had over the last couple of years that they are taking it seriously. I actually had a a conversation not that long ago with somebody who worked in the automotive industry um, who had close connections with the executives of a lot of those big companies. And they were saying that, um, and this was around the time that some of the, the regulations that were heading to be in place to reduce carbon footprint got relaxed. Um, I think we, both kind of know when that happened. Yeah. So, um, but they said basically the response was we were already preparing for this. We've already made the investment. We're probably moving forward with that to continue to reduce our footprint. And so to me, that's very reassuring. And this speaks volumes about what uh, some of the bigger players are thinking because they, they know that they're, it's hard for us to ignore the fact that there is impact there. But again, I also think that, you know, we have to be fair about it to the manufacturers that they are producing products for thousands, if not millions of people. And so when we start to break that down per person, then all of a sudden, you know, they're not necessarily entirely responsible for it because if they weren't doing it, then we wouldn't have 
cars, we wouldn't have uh, the things that we use every day. Mm -hmm. And they use a lot of power to be able to do those things. So it may not be, you know, necessarily carbon directly uh, that the, the plant itself is putting out, but it might be something that uh, could come from, for instance, the fossil fuels that might be driving the power generation for that facility. I will say this, I also know that a lot of companies are doing things to move green. You know, I know manufacturers that are putting basically gardens or lawns on top of their roofs to minimize uh, heat loss through the roof. I know that there's solar um, fields that are going in next to these facilities to reduce the electric costs. I know that there's uh, alternative electric being implemented almost on almost all grids right now. Um, I think so. I think, I think everybody is thinking about it and ways to reduce it five years from now. I don't know. It's really going to depend on regulation at the end of the day. Okay. But I mean, the, the biggest part of that really is that they're thinking about it, you know, and it's something that they are very aware of, um, with what they do on a day to day. And I think that, you know, we, we have to start that conversation. We have to have the conversation. And if they're having those conversations, then, you know, I think it's really good to know. Right. Because if right. we're not on the front lines of that and we don't know if they are considering it or, you know, um, making provisions to really reduce that carbon footprint or also, you know, look at sustainability in other areas, like you said, um, you know, it's really great to hear that that sector of supply chain is thinking about it and moving things forward. So I know this has nothing to do with manufacturing or supply chain, but how did you come up with the ring concept and how popular has it been? What has it done for you and your business? <laughs> well, uh, we're starting to have more conversations with people, obviously. I mean, it was hard not to get exposure from something like that, but it really started out as an, it was an observation of the platform, first of all, and seeing what um, what things that people liked and didn't like and mm -hmm. what affected, uh, you know, things like views. So I'm not sure if you know this, but those rings do actually increase viewership on your profile. They, they get, they draw people into your profile because you stand out. And so, because they are, they're a little different. They make you stand out in the feed. They make you stand out in the comments. So, um, you know, I wanted to be able to give people something back for all the support that we had received from our content marketing campaign for the company, which is just educating people on about 63 different topics uh, and marketing tactics and strategies that they can use to grow their businesses. So that we got a lot of support for that. And I wanted to give something back for that. Um, and so, this kind of presented itself as an opportunity and I had been using it on my profile and been getting a lot of questions asked about it. I'd even made a few for other people and I said, well, you know, I'm getting asked enough that this would be something that would be really interesting to give away for free. And um, so I did and uh, it started out the first day we just put a post up saying we were going to give it away for free. We had over 400 comments on that post alone. Wow. Yeah. And then, um, you know, tens of thousands of views. And then, uh, but, you know, I mean, I realized early on that I didn't want it to be about the metrics, mm -hmm. um, that this was an opportunity, again, to provide value for people and, again, to help them stand out, to give them something. So, you know, uh, the next day we kind of booted up the, the project itself which was Project Ring, and that was more about letting people know by using this ring 
that they were an individual and that they were their own person. They weren't just a like at the bottom of the screen or a comment at the bottom of the screen. And I think a lot of people get caught up in that, you know, how many comments did I get? How many likes did I get? How many people Mm -hmm. saw this? And so I wanted to give them an opportunity to stand out and be unique. And so that's really what that was. And by the time we were all done, the very last day we did team up with David Richald, who was the original creator of the ring. And uh, we jumped on this project together after we had seen some pressure against the project in the first place, which was a little silly. But um, so we teamed up and we just said, well, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this together and we're going to go big. And uh, so we both pushed it out the last day. And I think when we were all done, we, we were well over 500 rings easily. Awesome. And you ended up on Let's Talk Supply Chain because I love the fact that you were paying it forward. And so I wanted to do something for you to pay it forward for you and your business as well, because you helped so many people. I mean, 500 people. I mean, that is astonishing. And just the fact that, you know, the reasoning behind it, the story behind it, the fact that you wanted people to stand out in their own right, um, on LinkedIn is just amazing. And so what, let me ask you, let's talk about the future. What's next for Chris? I mean, the ring concept is over. I know you're working on helping industrial manufacturers with marketing, but what does the future hold? Just keep growing, find new customers, find more people to help. Um, you know, we can, uh, so the, the ring, project is a great example of being able to get out there, think outside the box and break the mold because that's what you have to do to get noticed. And so, um, you know, I want to find more customers that appreciate that kind of movement in the marketing world and doing it organically and doing it, um, you know, as these big campaigns because that's what it takes. And so I want to find more people who want to do that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to see where you go from here. Manufacturing is a huge part of supply chain. It is part of the first mile. It is making a huge impact on our global climate in various ways, environmental, economical, etc. It has been fun to talk to Chris about manufacturing from the inside out and understanding more about the challenges faced by that part of the industry. For more information about Chris Nesbitt Marketing and this episode, please please visit episode 115 at letstalksupplychain.com. Chris, where where can they find you online? Well, my handles are pretty awesome. So um, it's just Nesbit Marketing on almost every platform. It's at Nesbit Marketing. And uh, if people want to reach out to me directly, my email address is cnesbit, or I'm sorry, chris at nesbitmarketing.com. And then... Uh, websites nesbitmarketing.com so um yeah we we keep it pretty straightforward everything's aligned and it's really easy to get a hold of us awesome well thank you so much chris for coming on the show sharing your story thank you for having me thank you for having me absolutely yeah it's been fun This episode was produced in collaboration with Border Buddy, the most innovative online customs platform out there. And here is what Graham, the founder of Border Buddy, has to say. More and more companies are looking to expand their reach into global markets, but most don't know where to start or don't have the time to figure it out. Border Buddy sees the struggle and has found a way for you to integrate customs into your e-commerce site, allowing you peace of mind when selling to customers in other countries. Your customers will know exactly how much the costs are to import their order from you to their door in real time. 
And just imagine what that will do for your business and your sales. Visit us and sign up for 10% off your first clearance at borderbuddy.com slash let's talk supply chain. Remember to visit letstalksupplychain.com to find all of our videos, podcasts, blog, Woman in Supply Chain series, upcoming events, and links to our partners. Plus, on our podcasts and blogs, we now have categories so you can search depending on what topic you are looking for. You can even sign up for our newsletter as well as the ebooks that we now have free for you on our website so you don't miss out on anything. Next week, Apex Logistics may be the leader in air freight from China, but they are so much more and definitely a forwarder you want to consider having on your side. So stay tuned for more on that next Monday. If you'd like to support the show, there's a few ways to do that. Follow us. Follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to our newsletter over at letstalksupplychain.com. Subscribe to YouTube, the SC Supply Chain TV, and subscribe to Let's Talk Supply Chain Podcasts wherever you listen to podcasts. Next, go to ships.com. That's S-H-I-P-Z.com. This is our newest tech platform for supply chain. We are bringing freight forwarders and mid-market shippers together in your ocean freight and air freight shipments. So go and sign up today. Next, we have some amazing merch out there for your logistician, your favorite supply chain professional. So go and check that out under shop. We also have a 107 page supply chain dictionary full of acronyms and definitions you will need to succeed in your supply chain career. Lastly, if you'd like to be featured on a show, go and rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and we will read your review on an upcoming episode. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. And remember, ship happens.